Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host, Dave Elliott, and on this episode, it's something of a stunt special as we have two of this year's Emmy-nominated stunt coordinators. Tom Corey Williams, who is responsible for the action on DC's Doom Patrol, and Brett Chan, who coordinates the martial arts epic Warrior. Up first is Tom Corey Williams, who has hundreds of credits to his name as a stunt performer from shows such as 24, NCIS, Lost, The Walking Dead, and Vampire Diaries, to movies such as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man Homecoming, Ant-Man and Wasp, Baby Driver, and most recently, the matrix resurrections however we're here mainly to talk to him about his stunt coordinator work on the wonderfully bonkers doom patrol doom patrol reimagines one of dc's strangest superhero groups cliff Steele, aka robot man played by brendan fraser larry trainer aka negative man played by matt boomer rita farb aka elasty woman played by april bulby crazy jane played by diane guerrera and victor stone aka cyborg played by joanne wade if you haven't seen the series each member of the doom patrols has suffered a horrific accident which gave them superhuman abilities but also left them scarred and disfigured they've been brought together by niles calder aka the chief played by timothy dalton to form a it's fair to say somewhat dysfunctional family of superheroes it is a wonderfully and utterly bonkers tv series if you haven't seen it you can find it on stars play uk and hbo max in the usa tom's other stunt coordinator work includes the marvel netflix show the punisher which landed him his first emmy nomination he's also worked on the pilot for hbo's astonishing watchman series and was responsible for the motion capture on a number of video games including middle earth shadow of war and a number of the halo games if you'd like to hear more behind the scenes interviews don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast by searching for geek town radio this will also give you our weekly geek town radio podcast which brings you all the latest tv film and gaming news you can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk for daily news stories and all the latest uk and us tv premiere dates Here's the interview with stunt coordinator Tom Corey Williams. Hi, Tom. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm good. Where are you based? Are you LA based? No, I was for almost 20 years. Now, uh, for the last seven years, we've lived in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, big film industry there these days. It really, really is. Yeah. Sort of Walking Dead and then everything else followed. Kind of. Yeah. It's really taken off. A lot of Marvel stuff gets shots there as well, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. You know, they have a they have a really good deal with called Trillith now. So it's not Pinewood anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's exclusively you guys now over there. Yeah. But, uh, 
Yeah, a lot of the Marvel shows and Suicide Squad also shot over at Trilith. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm so looking forward to watching oh. that film. It looks immense. <laughs> yeah, I am too. I got called to work on it and wasn't available because of Doom Patrol. Oh, uh, no. Oh, uh, no, I wanted to work on it so bad, but it looks yeah. great. Yeah, it looks incredible. That So you're obviously a stunt performer and it's always sort of interests me how stunt performers get into that line of work because, you know, it's not the most obvious thing to get into. So No, and it's vastly different usually with who you talk to. A lot of people come from pro sports backgrounds yeah. and dance and gymnastics. I got into it. I was a I was a cheerleader in college. Oh, wow. National champion collegiate cheerleader and I was coaching gymnastics. Cool. Just working on my degree and I got hired to coach gymnastics at a live stunt show that had Catwoman in it. <laughs> I was out there training and working out and the director saw me tumbling and working out with him, taught me how to take a hit, taught me a high fall and he was like, oh, I got a guy in the show I don't like. If I fire him, you want a spot? Sure. <laughs> And then the the next summer, he was also doing one of the live Batman stunt shows out in Los Angeles and invited me and a couple other folks to come out there. And I was like, screw it. Let's do this. Awesome. So you've been involved with DC stuff for quite a while, lad. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. That's how I got started with DC. So, And I'm a giant comic nerd, too. So yeah, I, I, I like to consider all my life since I was about seven uh, research for my career. Yeah, absolutely. Doom Patrol, which has just landed you your second Emmy nomination. So congratulations on that. I, I mean, it's a wonderful show. How long was it before your brain melted when they handed you this first script for it? Because it's <laughs> so insane it really is and i had i had read the comics i'd read morrison's run and uh some other ones and i knew it was already going to be crazy i don't think i was prepared for how faithful and how even much further sometimes they were going to take it yeah i got the first script and i read it and i put it down talked to my wife a little bit went back and read it again because i was just like yeah, farting donkey. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> I, I loved it. it. It wasn't like a, Oh my God, it was a, I got to process this for a minute. And then I went back and read it again and just totally fell in love with the way that Jeremy and his team wrote. Yeah. It's just an insane, insane setup for a show. Yeah. Approaching the stunts for something like that. I know there are a number of um, quite big sequences. The, one of the big ones was the underwater sequence in right. uh, in the, the sort of mind where she gets pushed into the well. How did you approach that? Because it was Dan Guerrero actually doing most of that herself, wasn't it? Almost every bit of it where you see under, underwater is her. And man, she trained her ass off. I got so excited when I read that. I'm like, we're going to do underwater. We're gonna, we're really going to do it underwater, right? We're gonna, and they're like, yeah, we're building a tank outside the studio. And they did. They built a massive custom tank that's still there. So I, I started talking to Diane. She'd never done any dive stuff before, but she was super excited. And I got a father-daughter duo, David Paul Lord and Alexis Lord, mm -hmm. to train her. And they were taking her to a dive center. They would get in the pool and just work with her for days on end, getting her comfortable. And they were basically training her like they were going to take her out on a dive trip. Right. And get her fully certified. And I mean, with what she did, she should be fully certified by now. Got her used to going without the regulator, holding it in her hand, putting it back in her mouth. Then someone else would hold it, take the mask off, and eventually getting her to where she was so comfortable that she's acting and performing under there, just like she would up on the regular set. 
And we filmed that. I think it was like two and a half days. We were out there in that tank wow. to do everything across the two episodes. And she just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. And had an absolute blast. So she and uh, Sarah Bourne, who played Baby Doll, mm. was in there herself. And then all the rest of the personalities were played by stunt women. Right. Okay. That's a phenomenal achievement of her managing to do that, you know, yeah. um, just being able to train her to do that as well. Yeah. Other sequences, I know you submitted a whole bunch of things for the Emmy nominations. There's, there's a, a big fight sequence between Robot Man, Cliff, and, and Jesus for uh, reasons that I mean, I'm not going to explain if you haven't seen the show go watch it (laughs) when it comes to a sequence like that what's actually in the script for you is it just they fight and they need to get to a particular point or do you uh, what sort of creative control do you have over it you know they had a couple beats in there that they definitely wanted us to hit but for the most part all of our writers you know the third season with everyone now to then we all have a level of trust they they basically just be like look pre-biz this get it back to us pitch whatever you want uh, with Jeremy. He's so amazingly collaborative and he basically is just like, give me whatever you want. If we need to pull back a little bit, we will, but go nuts. And with a show like this, it's, that's really the key is just going nuts with everything and having fun with it and trying to get a, as absurd as you can. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'll typically with something like that, kind of make notes on the script and write things out so I can get a better handle on it. And then we'll start doing some choreography and then we'll start shooting the previs. And I actually got the second unit direct that sequence. So it was great. I just, I filmed it once to present to them. They loved it, made a couple notes, then went and actually did it for real a couple of weeks later. Right. Yeah. The second unit directing, I noticed you seem to be doing more and more of that. Is that predominantly the stunt stuff or are you doing non-stunt stuff as well at this point? With the DGA rules, with me as a second unit director, it usually has to involve action for me to be involved. Uh, that being said, they, all of my bosses are well aware of what I want to do. I want to direct. Mm-hmm. So they're letting me shadow. They're letting me in on meetings and stuff and hopefully working towards actually getting an episode. Yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, TV is a great place to, to do that as well. Cause it, it really is. And, and Berlin, the Berlanti company is well known already for letting stunt coordinators come up through the ranks and do that. You know, James Bamford, who did Arrow and Flash and all that, turned into one of their biggest directors. Yeah, yeah. So he, yeah. he really set a good precedent for all the rest of us. Yeah, they're incredibly generous with that stuff. Not only the stunt people, the actors and various other people involved on the show have, have had chances, which is, yeah. is great that they're doing that. Yes. In terms of other big stunts for the show while you've been working on it, is there anything else that particularly sticks out in your mind on Doom Patrol? My favorite one is still from from season one robot man taking out all the Fructopians where him and Jane split up and she's switching between different personalities and killing everyone. And he's just destroying everybody in that hallway. Yeah. That one was so much fun to do. Yeah. On a show like this, where you're dealing with those sort of superheroes, I guess there's a lot more things like wire work and, and Mm -hmm. that than maybe there would be on, on something else. So do you have a preference for the type of show you're dealing with in terms of just the sort of straight fight sequences or is it fun to do that variety of things? Yes. They're all fun. <laughs> like uh, the, the more grounded stuff, like say Punisher, you know, there wasn't a lot of wire stuff in that except when ex- explosion would go off. So it was just a lot of brutal killing. Mm-hmm. Still a lot of fun to do. Yeah. People- the stunt performers and the actors have a great time fighting and slugging it out. And then when you get into something like this, where 
robot man or Jane and her hammerhead persona are going to punch people. They're going to fly across a room and through a wall. I mean, the performer on the wires, first, let me say the harnesses are uncomfortable and they're not that much fun, but getting flung across a room through a wall. I mean, just, we love it. It's, it's a fun gag to do. It's awesome flying through the air. And then the, the puncher, whether it's Cliff or Jane or anyone else, it's cool. It makes you feel powerful. So it's just neat. Always seeing the look on their faces, like Diane slugs someone, they go flying across a room and we cut. And she's just like, Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> In terms of finding performers to do stuff like this, I don't know whether it's easier or more difficult with a show like Doom Patrol because you've got a number of people that are in masks and prosthetics and that sort of stuff. But then you've also got certain characters like the daughter who has stunt work to do. So what do you do there? Because you obviously can't put a child in that situation or a young, you know, a younger person in that situation. I was so blessed with that particular one. So the Dorothy actress, Abby, she's tiny. Mm-hmm. And there's a stunt woman named Emily Brokes who I've used many times before. She doubles a lot of kids, doubles a lot of small people. She's like 4'10", <laughs> four foot ten and 95 pounds, something like that. And especially with the prosthetics on, you couldn't tell the two of them apart. Yeah. And I, there's a great picture of me and the two of them right before she did her float up to the put the disco ball up. <laughs> and it's just it's adorable. They they got along great, had a lot of fun together. Yeah. So, and with with everyone else, it's, uh, you know, you just got to find people who have the skills you need first and foremost, but then look as much as humanly possible like their double. Diane's double Natasha looks so much like her when she's in the outfit that people will go up to her and talk to her like she's Diane, <laughs> especially lately because we're wearing masks. Yeah. But then it, it's a lot easier when you get into the super suit people like uh, Larry and Cliff. Yeah. So as long as you've got the right size and body type, they have custom suits made for the stunt doubles, just like they do for Riley and Matthew, the two suit actors. Yeah. It's like, I remember watching some of the stuff for the Mandalorian and there's like four people that play that that character and because yeah. he's entirely suited the entire time so you'd never know yep. who was on screen have there been uh, apart from diane obviously with the underwater stuff has there been any other actors that have really stood out to you in terms of their stunt work either on doom patrol or any of the other projects you've worked on oh man our our cast our entire cast on doom patrol is always so excited to do things javan who plays cyborg He'll just come in and train with us because he he really wants to get physical and have fun. He's had some good fight moments. Matthew, like I said, Matthew and Riley, who are in the suits, they have stunt doubles, but they're always like, we want to do as much as we can. You know, I had Matthew hanging from the ceiling when he was getting tortured and Riley. The, the biggest problem you run into with the suits is you got to really watch everyone, make sure they're not overheating. So we'll trade out as often as we can. Right. Yeah. But everyone, uh, Timothy Dalton, here's a great story. <laughs> so that man, one of your countrymen, is yes. an absolute legend in my mind. He wants to do everything. He will hit the ground. He will rough and tumble. I mean, he doesn't care. And I'm not going to say how old he is. I'm not going to mess with him like that. <laughs> he, he's up there and he will get just as much, if not more physical than anyone else in the cast. We had the sequence where we were in the frozen tundra in season one. Yes. And when we were 
doing the stuff out there where he's supposed to fall through the ice for one of the shots. He's talking to his wife there and he's supposed to fall down and just pretend he's going through, but he's off camera at the time. So I'm sitting there in video village and all of a sudden I, I'm watching and he falls down and hits the ground. I'm like, oh God, what are you, what are you doing? And they, they call cut. So I go running out there to check on him. I'm like, Timothy, sir, what do you, I go, you don't need to go down. I go, you're off camera. And he just, he grabs my shoulders. He looks at me. He's like, Tom, the lady needs a proper eyeline. <laughs> and I just, I just kind of dropped my head and I was like consummate professional. And yeah. he, he, he refused to not fall down. He was like, I have to show her where I'm going. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I love him for that. Absolutely love him. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful actor. Mm. In terms of just a few of the other things you worked on, I noticed your stunt coordinator on this. You do some stunts as well yourself, although I noticed a lot of it is stunt driving these days, I guess, because, I mean, you're a couple of years older than me, and I know I wouldn't be throwing myself around. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not as fun as it used to be hitting the ground. Yes. yes. And that's kind of the benefit us, us older fellas. We get the benefit of doing the car stuff. Yeah. I remember when I was younger, I've always been into stunt driving. And I remember getting really frustrated when I was young that I wasn't getting the good stunt driving jobs. And now that I'm not young, I understand why I didn't get them then. And I'm appreciative <laughs> to get them now. You mentioned that you're in Atlanta, Georgia. I know you did a bit of work on The Walking Dead. You did some stunt driving for them. Did you end up in zombie school? Was it just the driving stuff? You know, mainly driving stuff. One thing I've done enough of that I don't really want to do anymore is prosthetics. Yeah. yeah. I I don't feel like sitting in a chair for four or five hours in the morning and then two or three hours afterwards. So no, it's good for the younger kids too. Yes, definitely. You worked on Watchmen as well, which was an absolutely outstanding series. The pilot and the finale, according to your IMDb, Mm -hmm. I don't know that you did other other bits as well, but what what was the work you were doing on that? So on the pilot, I was one of the stunt coordinators. Right, okay. It was was myself and Doug Coleman, Mm -hmm. and I actually, right after we wrapped, we hadn't heard when it was going to start the rest of the series. They were trying to figure out scheduling. And that was when I got the offer for Doom Patrol. Right. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, God, I was, I was so impressed with that pilot and how it was done and everyone on it. And I knew it was going to be just magical. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was honestly one of the toughest decisions I've ever made. Yeah. But I was like, well, okay, well, doom's a sure thing. I know when it's going, I know what, what it's involved. And in retrospect, I think I made the right decision. Yes. probably. And, and, and also I quite enjoyed because the Watchmen property as a whole is one of my favorites. I love the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed watching it as a fan. Yeah. I I totally, you know, two friends of mine ended up coordinating it, the rest of the series. And I was just the whole time, you know, I, I wanted to know nothing about it. And I just, I enjoyed the heck out of it. Yeah, it was a just a masterpiece of work. Yeah. I was from start to finish so impressed with that. Yeah. I noticed you did some uh, video game work as well on, uh, yeah. you did the motion capture for Middle-Earth Shadow of War, Halo 4 and 5 as well. What's that experience like compared to doing the sort of full-blown stunt thing? I was neck deep in mocap for many years. I was one of the go-to people. Right. My wife and I, as a matter of fact, she was was a motion capture director and producer. Oh, cool. And shortly after we met, I was her stunt coordinator. And then she was teaching me more about the directing side of it. So I started directing mocap and just, it, it was it was so much fun. I, I miss it. The last motion capture project I did was I, I coordinated the mocap unit for the Great Wall. Right. So that's been, you know, a few years now. 
But the the video games, especially the Halo and the the Lord of the Rings stuff, I had so much fun with those. A lot of good memories, like Halo Five. I think we worked on that for almost a year. Wow! And had an absolute blast. I played a bunch of the creatures in it too, but mainly coordinating. And uh, you know, you get a little tired of the monotonous motion capture volume, just seeing the same walls and lights over and over. But it's actually a really fun gig. Yeah, I can imagine. Time's coming up. So last couple of questions for you. So the first question is, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? I just got, I'm I'm late to the game on this one, but it got on HBO Max and I just started watching Warrior. Oh, yes. Which is one of my fellow nominees. The coordinator, Brett Chan, is actually a good friend of mine. I'm actually talking to him later on today. (laughs) (laughs) Tell him I said hi. I will do. (laughs) So I'm really enjoying Warrior. What have we, oh, I really enjoyed Loki. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal show. Yeah, just finished it. My kids and I were way into that. And the one where well, I've, got, I've got three three sons, 14, 12, and 10. So we watch a lot of stuff together. Mm-hmm. And our current obsession, we actually just got done watching the latest episode of Bad Batch. Right. Yeah, yeah. I haven't watched this week's, but yeah, that's great Ooh, show as well. It's good. It's really good. Yeah, I love that show. I'm working my way through Clone Wars at the moment as well. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's... I, I, I'd seen episodes. I just hadn't watched the whole thing all the way through. So uh-huh. I'm I'm doing that right now. I, Have yeah. you seen the, the last four? No, not yet. Oh, okay, but, you are you are in for a treat. I, I'm about halfway through season six, I think, at the moment. So okay, the, the yeah. final four I would put up against pretty much any Star Wars movie. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It gets better and better as you go through that as well. I, um, I want to work with Dave Filoni in the worst way. That dude's a hero. Well, that may lead on to my last question. If you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, it can be something from the past, something present, or some sort of future genre. What would it be? Star Wars. I mean, I, <laughs> It's what got me into the business. I am those original three movies I can watch all the time and I do with my children. So I, I am so excited about all the stuff they're doing, the explosion of the yeah. whole platform. But obviously, you know, Doom Patrol season four, hopefully yeah. that happens. Yeah, but uh, I hope so too. I love Doom Patrol. It's a wonderful, wonderful series. And uh, they're, they're making lots of Star Wars stuff. I mean, I'm sure something will come your way eventually. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, I'll let you go because I know you've got more, more uh, interviews and stuff to do. So hopefully we'll talk to you again in the future. It's been lovely. Absolute pleasure talking to you. And Cheers. So that was the interview with Tom Corey Williams, stunt coordinator on Doom Patrol, which you can find on Stars Play UK and on HBO Max in the USA. The second interview is with Brett Chan, stunt coordinator on the martial arts epic Warrior. From Banshee creator Jonathan Tropper and Fast and Furious's Justin Lin, based on an original concept and treatment by the legendary Bruce Lee, Warrior is a gritty action-packed crime drama set during the brutal Tong War of San Francisco's Chinatown in the late 19th century. The series follows Sam, played by Andrew Koji, a martial arts prodigy who emigrates from China to San Francisco under mysterious circumstances. After proving his worth as a fighter, he becomes a hatchet man for the Hop Wee, one of Chinatown's town's most powerful tongs. In the interview, we discuss getting emotion into the fight sequences and evolving the action to drive the plot. We also discuss getting in those Bruce Lee-isms without coming on too strong, and also talk about sending Andrew to China to study karate and fight techniques to bring culturally authentic fight choreography to the show. Along with working on Warrior, Brett has also worked on CW's Kung Fu, so we chat about the differences between the two shows. He also worked 
worked on two seasons of the wonderful Snowpiercer, and that comes with its own challenges of creating fight sequences in incredibly tight spaces. His latest project saw him jump on the upcoming Paramount Plus series, Halo, based on the video game franchise, as he tackled the action there with a very, very fast turnaround. So here's the interview with Warrior Stunt Coordinator Brett Chan. <laughs> before we start to get into the shows you're working on, a little bit of background about you. How did you get into the industry in the first place? I had really no inclination. Well, I mean, I did. I mean, I've always thought about it, but I just never really thought I would ever really get into it. Um, I was based off of these TV shows I was watching like way back in the day called uh, Vanishing Sun. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, with uh, Russell, uh, oh, her last name already. Anyways, um, it was a show about a, a bro- two brothers and one getting the gangsters and one trying to get him out of it. And then every other week, it changed. It, it was Hercules on the, on the next week. They're basically going vice versa every week. Right. And then I moved from Toronto to Vancouver and I was going to school, doing my, pre- my pre-meds. I was doing my kinesiology and human kinetics. And I was working at a nightclub as a doorman. <laughs> and I met this girl and we, we were just dating a little bit and she had just opened up her own talent agency mm-hmm. and she said, Hey, do you want to be in it? I'm like, sure. Why not? You know? Yeah. I got a, a commercial called the uh, karate fighters. It's the toys where you put them on top of these little sticks, you, you spin it and they, they throw punches and kicks. Oh, cool. and then yeah. You're challenging somebody. And then when you do that, you, you hit the center part of their body and then they go flying off their, their little stick <laughs> thing. Uh, yeah. So I was on that and uh, I loved it. And I loved it even more after I saw my first check. And I was like, Holy crap. Um, and then I met some guys that were on Ninja Turtles and they, um, they had me come out on audition as a T for the TV series. And I said, yeah, I jumped on and I got it. And so I, I just kind of started my career, but you know, I still finished school. Uh, so I'm an RMT. I'm a registered, um, well, I'm not registered anymore because I don't practice anymore, but uh, a sports rehab massage therapist. Right. So I got into that. And then once I finished school, I just, I, I was doing stunts at the same time as well. Part-time as a stuntman because you know, you're contract workers, so you're not always working. Mm-hmm. All the time, unless you're one of the regular guys who are working all the time. But I mean, I'm five foot eight and you know, 200 plus pounds. I'm shaved head, tattoos, Asian guy. Yeah. I'm not going to get any doubling parts. I'm not going to get like the, the Joe Smell just walking down the street. I'm generally <laughs> always the bad guy or yeah. I'm in an outfit that makes me double a bad guy or a monster or something like that. So, yeah. uh, so that my work was sporadic at that time until like, you know, I finished school and I was like, okay, I'm going to pursue this full time. And I just started doing that full time. And uh, that's how it started. Yeah, that's awesome. And you set up an agency and stuff and... No. So, you know, there's strength in numbers. You know, the industry is not very forgiving when in terms to of trying to break into it, obviously, because there's limited work and a lot mm-hmm. of people don't want to try to work on it. So people, everybody wants to be, see you do well, but no one really wants to see you do better than them kind of thing. So, yeah. and it becomes a very superficial thing. I mean, you're, you're working a lot of people, like there are good people who are, who are generally happy for you, but there are people that are like, they're happy for you, but they're like, well, why didn't I get that part? Cause you're all really going for the same parts. 
Yes. This work, right? So it's hard not to, to get swallowed up in that, especially when you're like, you're both contract workers and let's say, you know, your buddies work like five days already and for the month and you've worked none. It just becomes yeah. that moment, you know, and humans are humans. It doesn't mean people are bad people. Some people are, but I mean, uh, people just like, you know, they obviously want to try to pursue their dreams. So I started Hits International. Hits International is... At first, started off as a uh, an international promotional site for people that I want to work with. Right. Because we go away on these jobs for like six, eight months or whatever it is. It could be a long time. And you want to be able to work with people that you enjoy. Yeah. Uh, that you can trust and you can have fun with. Yeah. And you don't want to throttle after being like an hour with them kind of thing. Because yeah. especially if you're away in a job somewhere, I mean, they become your family uh, when mm -hmm. you're away. Hits International was meant for that at first because I'd been traveling around the world and been working with a lot of people. Like, they're just fantastic. And I would never have met them if I didn't travel and work. And then it just started rolling into, it became a team. So yeah. we're like a team now, stunt team, comprised of second directors, directors, stunt coordinators, stunt performers, fight choreographers, horse masters, you know, kind of thing. So we're all kind of professional. So, you know, if I get a, sh a show, let's like say Halo, okay, well, I need these skills so I can go through the roster and say, okay, him, 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 her, her. They have these skill sets. I'll pull them on the show. So yeah. now the team's all working together. And we're all accustomed to working together. We are all on the same mindset because we're on the same team. That's one of my mandates that if you get voted in, because it's a voting system by the rest of the team, you have to have the same mindset as everyone. Because there's no use in bringing someone on who's like the best of the best, but he's a complete jackass. Yeah. Just, you know, first of all, it's, it's a representation of me. Mm -hmm. uh, ideally, like birds of a feather flock together kind of thing. And also professionalism. And also, I want to enjoy my time. If I have to deal with you over six months and hate my job, then it's really all for nothing. Yeah, that's a great way of doing it, though. You know, because yeah. it gives you a set of people, like you say, I mean, particularly in your business, you want people that you know you can trust and you can rely on and can do it. 100%. That's absolutely a wonderful way of doing it. So Warrior, which is the big thing that you've been working on quite recently, presumably some of the guys from Hits International are, are involved in that as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's only 26 members, so I can't comprise everybody. Not everyone has those skill sets that we need. Mm -hmm. So I just try and bring the core guys that I need. Like Johnny Yang and Jason Ning are usually my right-hand, left-hand men. Yeah. Um, we're dealing with assisting, coordinating, cover coordinating, everything like that. Because I know I can trust them and we all work together. I mean, and when I'm directing, I, I, I'm looking at something on the monitor and I can just say, let's take it. I go, hey, Johnny. He'll go, yeah. And I don't even have to say <laughs> what it is. He already knows kind of thing what I'm looking at and what I, I didn't like. So, and same thing with Jason. So that's going along that way. Um, yeah. So I had, uh, I think like eight, nine members on Warrior season two, and two of them are from South Africa. So that works out great. Um, right. The other guys I bring in. Now the supplementary guys are guys I need that spark certain looks, skill sets that I need, but not on the team, but I know they're still going to be good guys or they're referred to by someone that's a member on the team. Yeah. And so I know that they know what I'm looking for because if they recommend someone and bring someone in that, that's a complete douche, they're going to get it from me. It's just going to be like, what are you doing? Like, yeah, and they understand. So they're, they're hesitant to recommend people uh, who they don't know very well because mm -hmm. They'll just never hear the end of it from me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great system, though. That, that seems to work really well. Warrior itself is, is quite an interesting show because uh, it was originally developed by sort of Bruce Lee way, way back in the day. And then yeah. it's taken kind of this long to work its way onto screen. So in terms of the action that you're producing for that, you're trying to sort of pay homage to Lee in the movement and the 
what you're doing with it. But obviously, Andrew Koji, the lead isn't Bruce Lee. So how are you handling that without sort of completely trying to mimic Bruce Lee? Well, I mean, from my understanding, I mean, when Bruce Lee started writing this outline, it wasn't never meant to be Bruce Lee. It was, right. meant, him, it was meant for him to play it. Yeah. And whatever, however mannerisms he played, which is probably going to be himself, I mean, mm-hmm. that was kind of to go. But with this, it's more about the, the homages that they play to Bruce Lee are written in the script of things that they want to see. Right. Because they don't want to put Bruce Lee moments everywhere because it just becomes too much. Yeah. They put Bruce Lee moments in certain appropriate times when we need it for certain fights. And that can relate to whatever in a moment where in this situation, we got cut here or his movement when he does this or, you know, he does that or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But Andrew Koji and, you know, nobody really wants to try and be Bruce Lee unless this character is supposed to be Bruce Lee. Yeah, sure. You can't. And if you're, you're, you're going to set yourself up to failure if you're <laughs> yeah. trying to play a character and try and emulate Bruce Lee in it. So Andrew, I think, does it really well because we have lots of conversations. He, he wants to be able to mimic certain things, but it's more the idealism of how he utilizes his martial arts and how it's combined with several different martial arts as opposed to one. Bruce Lee's mantra was always like, you hybridize things. It's not all just one system. It can't be. So when I do the fight choreo for Andrew, I talk with him and see where he wants to go. Certain things. Okay, great. And so now I, I know where he's at mentally as a character in the story and mentally as a character depending on where it is in the story. If he's in desperation mode, if he's like just trying to mess around with guys and people, if he just wants to kill somebody, then you'll notice how his moves will change and how he he does it aggressively or not aggressively or playfully. And that's him playing that. And that's after the core is already done and he's taken to what he wants from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we never try and just create Bruce Lee, yeah. but the idea we give him, the tools that he uses to execute what he has to do. Well, you'll be able to say, oh, that's a little bit of this. Oh, that's a little bit of that. That's a little bit of this, but it looks a little bit different because now it's, it's the way Andrew's going to move, which is cool. And Andrew always does things that that give that moment to Bruce Lee. Like, you know, when he gets the nunchucks and he goes, he holds the nunchucks this way. And when he yeah. does the move, when he, when he puts his hands out kind of thing, he, he, he gives those moments. He'll give Bruce Lee-isms. We call it Bruce Lee-isms. <laughs> right, yeah. He gives Bruce Lee-isms, which is very satisfying for Shannon and Jonathan Tropper and Brad Kane. They're always talking about that and they're very conscious about not doing too much Bruce Lee or, okay, now we're going to do... He did the, uh, this in this movie, this in this movie, this in this movie. So we're going to put all three in one fight. No, it's just too much. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then we'll give it the flair that Andrew wants to give it. But the character moments all built in from him. Yeah. When you first got involved with Andrew and doing the work on the show, what sort of prep work did you do with Andrew? Because, I mean, I know he's a martial artist anyway, but I'm guessing there were particular types of things you needed for the show. So, you know, Assam, his character was meant to be uh, a really fast character. And we always try and use destructive methods for him so it's like bruce lee always talked about like you know when when someone throws a punch at you you know so he can't use that punch again blocking your elbow and then you'll break his hand so now he can't use his hand so with him we always kept that speed moments and a little bit more destruction moments for him so that he can he can give that so those styles i would take from him from other martial arts and try and create it and put it within a hybridized motion so he doesn't have a a, a particular style but he has those tools that he can pull out and with him, we use a lot of theory that Bruce Lee always talked about. So, you know, he did an extensive research on martial arts and Bruce Lee. 
as well. So he kind of understands what, is, what he's talking about. So when we're doing choreography, he can add his flair and it, it's fantastic. He does it so well. So I bring him in, I train him on a, on a series of different martial arts, but you can't keep it all the same all the time because people get kind of bored of watching that. Yeah. Oh, he's going to do this, he's going to do that. So on season one, we because he doesn't have a base, he, he's a martial artist, but he hasn't done it in a while. Mm -hmm. He's a tricker. So he knows he has good body awareness. So we get him into some Wing Chun and we do a little bit of this, a little bit of this. Okay, he has a little bit of this. Okay, great. Now season two. Now he does all he's he has this this weapon skills already. So season two, you know, we send him to Korea and he trained with two masters there, specifying on a, a realistic uh, military martial art, which is called TKD. Uh, right. And then also with uh, a Taekwondo grandmaster as well, so that we can amplifies kicks because in the actual show if you watch it no one really throws kicks like him like joe will throw kicks every once in a while but he's more power base and and grabbing and breaking right which bolo was kind of like every time he struck something was breaking kind of thing because he was meant to be that strong character and chen in a hong he had the weapon and he could throw kicks every once in a while but he had that whip weapon and jason tobin wasn't really throwing kicks like fancy kicks he'd throw a front kick here and there whatever it is but he had knives you know and everyone that was in the show had their own little thing and everyone else was just kind of like you know general thuds or whatever it is so or in episode six where he had specialty martial artists from around the world coming in from capoeira to a taekwondo specialist to a judo guy to you know the guy with the claws which is played homage to bruce lee's um so you know that's how we kind of mess with that but Andrew, not only that though, all the actors would come in the morning. We have a whole training regime. We do a whole training with the whole team because on my team, there was like, I think like nine different countries and you know, right. they weren't all speaking the same language. So I had to integrate them. And, and also to integrate them too, you have to integrate the actors in there. So they trust the stunt guys and then they're not going to get hurt. Yeah. You create a relationship with everybody. And by that time I couldn't get anybody out of the gym because everybody just wanted to be there all the time and hang out and train there all the time. And it was like, get out guys, I got work to do. But <laughs> Can I just hang out in the corner over here? Like who Lee? Like who wasn't always on? And he doesn't have that much action, but he's so athletic. So he just can I just, can I just I'll just hang out in a little corner over here. I'll just do some boxing and you know, and you know, like okay, okay no worries. And it's cool. But it was very nice to see that they wanted to do that all the time. And they yeah. wanted to sing, they wanted to be there. And the show Warrior was an enigma. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was it doesn't happen very often where you have all the casts are fantastic. The stunts, the crew, the shooting, the camera, the production team, the producers, everyone's on board to make this what it was. And it was just it was just great. So our training regime is after we train and afterwards we have a, a specific training section for all our actors. Training session, martial arts. Okay, then Dean will go here. He'll train with this person here. Joe will go over here. He'll train with this person. Over here. Andrew will go over here. He'll train with this person over here. And they all have different little things. I'm training with each of them to prepare them for their fights. In terms of the actual sequences on the show, how is that sort of written on the page? And how much sort of creative freedom do you end up getting to? Because I guess there must be certain points that you know they have to hit as they go through a scene. Yeah. But how much of that is scripted out, and how much is stuff that it's then just handed over to? you to choreograph what's good about with this show especially is that um i was i was able to gain the trust of jonathan chopper after right. uh, uh, season one episode one and he saw certain things jonathan chopper himself is a martial artist and he's right. fantastic at nunchucks I and mean, you ask him if you ever interview and ask him hey jt can you just show us some nunchucks he's really good <laughs> 
And so, and he's an avid Bruce Lee fan. So he knows all Bruce Lee isms. He knows, almost he knows, he knows that stuff. So JT will, when he writes at least, he'll write the whole fight sequence. Right. He'll be like, okay, Brett, I know I'm writing this stuff, but I know you could probably make it cooler. So, you know, take it away. Just go do what you want to do. Just keep me these three points in there. I want to see this arc in there. I want to see this happen. And I see this one, oh my God. Okay, great. No worries, JT. So I'll talk to the director. The director will be okay. Like, especially if you've got like someone like Lonnie Pastere who's fantastic. You should interview him. He's so good. He has such a great vision. He comes from a VizFX background. So he's, he oh, wow. sees everything like in a grand scheme. And so, and he knows how to compartmentalize things when he needs his team to do for him when he needs, as long as they keep his vision and I'll go create the fight based off of JT's notes, script notes and the director. And then I'll go create it all. I'll make sure I keep all those points in there. And JT will say, uh, I want to see this arc happen a little bit later. Or I want to see this move happen a little bit sooner. I'll go, okay, great. But he generally likes everything. He just kind of adjusts something here and there. And they, they allow me to do to when I'm directing, uh, they allow me to choreograph and direct even the drama within the actual fight itself. Oh, right. Cool. Yeah. yeah which is where I'm headed to. So, you know, yeah. get directing and stuff like that. So, yeah. So that's what he does. He lets me pretty much take full reins. And that's why it's like an anomaly because a lot of times in these shows, there's so much politics and there's so much like, you know, there's 15 different producers who want to say something. Then the editor will say, no, this should be this. And, you know, it just be like, it's one of those folds. But the way I shoot it is that um, I'll pre-visit and say, okay, JT, that's exactly how it's going to look like yes. this. If we shoot it exactly like this, he goes, okay, Brett, you shoot it. So I make sure <laughs> I shoot it exactly like that. Storyboards, story beats, acting beats, everything like that. Exactly how they detail, they like it. You know, they'll let me, I give the notes to the actors. They let me deal with that. But it's, it's a shot in a way where you can't really edit it differently. Yeah. Now, there's nothing against editors. Editors are, they do their job. That's what they do great. But a lot of times editors, one, aren't martial artists. Two, aren't having the notes there with JT. Three, aren't in the actor's head and what's going on. Four, they're not, having, they're not living that story. So they'll maybe put uh, this move instead of this move because you give them two different angles, but it didn't work. But to them, they don't know the difference. And so we need to tell the story how it was meant to be told. And so JT allows me to do that. And so when I shoot it, I shoot it with the intention of only like, it can only be edited a certain way. Yeah. And that's the way that's meant to be. There is a certain unique thing about editing, particularly with martial arts stuff, in the way that those sort of things are, are shot anyway, in the, on normal fight sequences on shows, it tends to be quick cuts, quick cuts, close-ups. You yes. know, there's a lot of that. Whereas because it's almost so balletic and choreographed with martial arts things, you don't want to do that. You want to be further out. You want to see what's going on. So yeah. th that's the other thing with the, with the editing. I think. So if you're directing it as a martial artist, I think that makes a huge difference. Right. And I know the story arc and everything and mm -hmm. with the actors and everything like that. So there's different ways of shooting action. And in season one, JT had brought this camera set system and it was just very different. It doesn't move as fast. It's a big rig and you have to move it around. And so we wanted to keep that motion. It's not just like cut, 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 cut. <laughs> as in that becomes like a generic, you know, Hong Kong style fight or whatever it is, which is sometimes I feel it loses the North American audience. Right. Because it's very Asian-esque how it's shot. So we we tried to create a little bit more different where it's not all cut, cut, cut. It's it's moving. And basically the fight, like the moves will find the way to the camera as opposed to camera always finding where the moves are. Yeah. Not, you always have to script, cut, 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 pan, pan, pan. So we'll add that in every once in a while, but it, it doesn't become the main staple of, of how it's shot. Mm -hmm. And I think that tells a little bit more of a brush story when you let it breathe a bit and it gets more acting out of it as opposed to just, just action. Yeah, absolutely. On Warrior, is there one specific sequence that really sticks out to you that you put together? You know, the things that really gripped to me are not necessarily just the fight 
fighting scenes. It's more about the emotional content that's happening within the actual fight. Episode five, we're at a breaking point with Joe, Leong, and Zing. And Leong's going through this terrible turmoil thing. So him and Hoon come up with this plan to frame Zing and get him out of the way. It helps the police. He set this whole thing up. I mean, if you've seen the show, then you'll know. But Joe particularly lives those moments like he's has such disdain for Zing that it didn't really matter. And Zing gives his whole speech. He is, uh, you know, because he's, he's very cocky. You know, he's very the way he is. You know, Joe, you don't have the balls to do this. So just for that, I'm going to, when I'm done with you, I'm going to take my Ling. I'm going to have my way with her. I'm going to cut her heart out. I'm going to piss in the hole. And it was just so emotionally driven. You go on to Joe and his first word is like, fuck you. Oh, <laughs> it just, every move wasn't just like a fight. It was like, an emotional driven move to everything just to get through. And even before that, the sword fight coming down the stairs, you know, he was very like every stab, every cut. It was, there was such uh, savagery, almost like he's going to stab this guy in the armpit. It's going to especially hurt you in the armpit. Think about a knife going in your armpit. It's yeah. just like, oh. But how he did it and how he looked at him afterwards, it's like he wants to stab the armpit so the guy's ancestors feel it, you know, <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. And it was just so savage and visceral. So that was, was so emotionally charged and driven. And then Big Bill coming with the gun. And he obviously had a lot more at stake to it because he had to frame this guy, get him out of the way. His wife was almost killed. It was just like insane. So that whole episode was so emotionally driven and not just through the characters, but through the action. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just like a fight. Or the final fight with Dean and uh, and Assam, Larry and Assam. I mean, every move. And if you watch some of the moves, they kind of trace back to season one, episode ten, when they had their, their brief little scuffle. When and some things kind of happened, and we showed how they all learned from each other and how they changed the move from the countering. So, and those guys are so emotionally charged. Dean was like the almighty great white hope, and Andrew's coming in to like you're you're. you're gonna end you know and, and it was lying the end was and don't come into chinatown or i'm gonna bring an army kind of thing and that was that was very dead set or the precursor to that when dean and andrew were sitting at outside the factory and they had a they had a talk he's like you know you come into our town try and take our jobs you know and he's like do i look like i want your job <laughs> by the way the americans are treating you it's almost like you might as well just be chinese you know because they're treating you like dirt they're, they're giving your jobs away to us so yeah the characters are so emotionally driven and i thought they were just fantastic or if you watch jason tobin when he goes into the uh the laundromat right it's in the riot he's running by and it's like now it's no longer about leong about the tongs or about mei ling and and you know father june it's about chinese and they're standing up for for their rights at this point because how they're mm -hmm. treated and the same thing, you watch that fight. Jason does that fight with so much more brutality. And when he's stabbing somebody and stuff like that, and you, those kind of things, when I can actually portray that or I can show that. And if you, as a viewer, you see that, that emotion driven through that, that movement, because maybe, you know, he doesn't want to, he just wants to stab this guy because he's, he's, he's pissed off at him. Or now this is different. Yeah. Now. This is, yeah, I'm stabbing you to kill you now. I'm, I don't want to just injure you. You're going to die or I'm going to make you, this is going to hurt or, you know, like that. It's like, it's yeah. just going to be. Like, you yeah. know, when, well, I don't know about you guys, but I know myself, my friends, when we were kids, because I have a Filipino background, like uh, half and half Filipino, that, uh, you know, when my mom was scolding me when I was a kid, they don't just spank you, they pull out their, their slippers, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's right. like, I'm going to spank you so hard, your mouth is going to bleed. You know, you're like, whoa, oh, crap. <laughs> As a kid, that's just so, and it's kind of yeah. like that feeling. You want to instill that fear or that, get that emotion out of you. It's not like, I'm going to spank you. No, no, no. I'm going to spank you. And your mouth's going to be like, oh, crap. Okay. Yeah. So that was the kind of feeling. Yeah. I'm trying to induce in there. Yeah. Warrior is not the only kind of martial arts based show you'll 
been working on recently because you're on Kung Fu as well, which one's a sort of very adult, yeah, one's yeah. A, the other one's a network show. So what's the sort of difference for you dealing with the pieces in, in Warrior compared to something like Kung Fu? Kung Fu, I only did the first five episodes. I did the okay. pilot and then afterwards for five, then I was out of it. So, I mean, they had definitely a definitely different tone for the show and uh, they still wanted to keep the moment of like, she's still kind of in peril. In the beginning, at least, when the leads, Jalan's going to kill Olivia, she's going to fall down over the cliff. They didn't want it to be all wiry, like Crouching Tiger style. They wanted to be still kind of grounded because it still has to be real. I think once you get into that realm of like, all wires like that, it changes. You, you might as well, you, you, you know, you're watching superhero shows, they're all doing that. So it's, yeah. they want it to be a little more grounded and it's something a little more real. So when we did that, it, you know, it was more about creating the flavor for their action and the characters, again, driven through their emotion. So my basis, you know, Jilan is the lead bad girl and Pei Ling is, was the master and they're yeah. both masters. Whereas Olivia was just uh, a student who was very mm-hmm. good. So anytime I did any kind of fight scene, which is only one between Pei Ling and Jilan, that was the one that was always a little bit more heighted, a little bit more stylized, like with the, the snake or the tiger or even kind of stuff like that. And then once Olivia comes in and she starts during the course of the episodes, it's a little more grounded and we don't for show all tiger, tiger, snake, snake. It doesn't go like that because who does that? <laughs> yeah. Right. It, it, even if you see martial arts fighters who do that kind of stuff, if they get in the street, they just they're not going to be doing like this stuff. Like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to work. Uh, so we give the practical application of the move, like the target grab, you know, but we won't actually do dire. And so, but you'll notice that as a martial artist, you'll notice, oh, that was kind of a tiger move, or that was this kind of move, or the strike that comes out this way, the snake, but it doesn't, we don't do all this stuff. Yeah. Because if you're doing that, you, you see her fighting, like, say, three bad guys, gangsters or thugs are going to be tough, and she's doing this stuff, you're going to be laughing. Yeah. So we just create it within the motion, and then we'll, we'll have like a punctuation to her moment afterwards. Like if she hits somebody, like the tiger strike, and then now, we stop for a second. You see her. And that's like, you see a tiger hand, but it's not like we're we're focusing this stuff. It's just like boom. We see that happen. We move. So you have an element of oh, okay, that's her training, and so keep that going with her. Yeah, um, and Olivia was fantastic. Olivia was like, you know, she's not a martial artist, but she she when she first arrived, she she called me up, Brett. I don't care what we do. I want to train seven days a week. So she came here for pilot. She trained. We were training seven days a week. Sundays she would come train in the morning. She go to costume finish. She come back. She train for another two hours. She'd do a hair makeup. She'd come back. She another two two hours, wow. and that was every day because she just wanted to make sure that she did a good job. And yeah. same with Vanessa, same with Jalan, and Eddie. You know uh, the same thing, which is great because I try to create a family with the, the stunt family with the yeah. actor. It's a very big thing. You have to have a trust. Yeah. Uh, so you don't hurt each other, and you're mindful of that. Some actors don't care, and they're, ah, they're hitting you. And you know, uh, I've had friends that had you know the actors don't care and put them like in a seizure, you know, because he he was Jeez. punching them. I, yeah. I won't mention the actors' names, but another friend of mine got hit in the eye, and his his eyeball blew out on the inside. You know, <sighs> or guys like knocking people out on purpose because they figure that they're martial artists, so they can do it. You know, he's stunt guy can hit or yeah, you know, yeah. So. Uh, we got to create this family unit with the actors as well as with our stunt performers. It just works out for the best because then the actors just want to come train with us all the time, which is yeah. what I want. Yeah, which yeah. is great. Absolutely. The other show you, you worked on, uh, Snowpiercer, yeah. as well. That must be an interesting one for you to deal with because the environments you're working in are, are incredibly restrictive because it, the entire thing is based on a train. So how is it working out sequences for that? Extremely challenging. <laughs> when they said, okay, we have to create a riot scene here, 
threat, but you know, we have certain budget budget controls and you're in a, in a train with bunk beds and things inside there. And you have to do this fight scene with long weapons, short weapons, all these things. And you only get three stunt guys and you have three actors and you have 15 to 20 extras that are surrounding you that you can't hurt. You can't touch. You can't hit Wow. So it's being able to create that at the same time, again, getting the trust from the actors. So they understand that where we are and my basically putting my stunt guys in an, an arrangement where we can kind of protect the background mm -hmm. so they don't get hit or even by accident, because stuff happens, rise up, stuff happens. But yeah. the extras have been great. They all want to get in there. Said, oh, relax, relax, relax. And um, so, and that's how we create that. But I mean, it's definitely challenging. And, you know, the trains are smaller because I guess the original Snowpiercer they're making and it went away after a while, they shot the pilot yeah. and then they didn't like it. So two years later on, they came back and they, they redid all the train cars and they shot the pilot again. Mm -hmm. And the train cars were just too big. It was like, you, this is not a train. You can't believe there's a train. So then they came back and they redid the whole designer set again because they went to three designers. The yeah. Third, I, for the first season. Yeah. I, I've interviewed, come with the guy's name, but the guy that did the production design on it, I uh, I did an interview with him. Um, season one or two? Season one. He was the guy that set up a lot of the cars in season one. Barry Robinson. Barry, yeah. So Barry came in. So so there's a first, uh, the first pilot they shot. They didn't like it. They, they only kept two scenes from the whole first pilot. Yeah. They kept the water scene where the actors are swimming in there naked and they kept the cows. Yeah. But everything else they scrapped and they recast and they came back. So we reshot the pilot again. So that, that designer was gone. And then they brought another designer to start building for to reshoot the first pilot again. And then he left. Then Barry came on and then Barry did the show uh, yeah. created the train. So you know, he had to, he had to make it grittier. We had to make it smaller and grittier and, and compact only certain cars like the night car or the dining car were bigger. Yeah. Really. Everything else was much smaller, literally like a train. Like you mm -hmm. have to be like, I think it was like 10 feet across and like uh, 20 feet long before yeah. you hit each thing. Yeah. So there wasn't much room. So maybe 12 feet wide. But by the time you put the bunks in, which are like four feet on each side, then you only have like three feet, four, not even four feet between the two bunks. So you're creating fights between that. And it's definitely challenging. But, you know, um, we, we do it and uh, the guys are always good. We get some rehearsal time, then uh, rehearsal space, and I'll, I'll build the train car in boxes. Right. So we know exactly how much room we have. Yeah, so we yeah. put boxes in there. Yeah, the bumps to create the, the beds, and we do all sorts of things there. And then, then now we created it. So now we, we know the parameters of, how, of what we have. And I can tell them, I said, no, I can't fit 20 extras in here. I can fit 15 extras in here, and I got to put them over here. Like, okay, then I, <laughs> I need these my son guys because they have to do the fight and still keep our actors safe and our actors safe. So, okay. I remember there were riot sequences in that. I, you wouldn't know that it's that few people doing it. It comes over really well. I mean, it comes over like a yeah, full-blown yeah. riot. So good job. <laughs> it's a great show as well. And that's just been renewed for a full season as well, hasn't it? You've just, they've just done season three. Uh, well, I didn't do season three. Yeah, okay. I did season one and two. Um, yeah. I had to leave season three because I, I went to Halo. Yes, I was going to say, that is the other thing you've been working on. Yeah, Interestingly, um, we were talking about, before I started recording, uh, Thomas Courtney Williams did the mocap for Halo 4 and 5, the video oh, game. The game. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and uh, you're doing the TV show, which I'm really looking forward to because it looks like it's going to be really interesting. I know you won't really be able to tell me anything about that because... Well, I, I know they were shooting over three years. What happened yeah. was, it was going, then something COVID hit, so it stopped, and they went back again, and they were going again, and then COVID hit, and they stopped. 
they went back again. So the original coordinator got let go off the show for personality reasons, work reasons, whatever right. it was. Yeah. And then they called me to kind of come in. The problem thing was that he had 14 months to create all the action for the show and right. it wasn't really done. And then when I got on board, it's with limited time, you have four weeks to create all the action. I was like, oh. and, you know, like shooting, it's like you have episode one, you do the action, then you have like two, three weeks and you have episode two, you know, yeah, you, yeah. Can start, you can start, you can have time, but this wasn't the case because they shot all the dialogue. They shot all the, all the action. They shot most of that. So all they had left was mainly the action. So right. that it was basically episode like nine, one, I want to say four or five and then eight and seven. Yeah. yeah. But it was literally action, 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 because everything was already shot. So they'd only scheduled for all the action to be continuous. But <laughs> having to develop all the action going and it was, it was really hard. And plus I'm a new guy in the blocks. I, I kind of showed up, but the team, the team did really well. And uh, we had our trials and tribulations and our problems and uh, we're all fighting in the trenches together. And, yeah. And that's, that's the idea. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that when it lands. It's a really interesting looking show and yeah, the video games are great. So uh, I know it's a huge franchise, so I really hope it lands oh, yeah. well. Last couple of questions for you. First question is what TV shows are you watching at the moment? You know, I haven't had a chance to really, stop and watch anything i just been so busy but okay well if i talk like all shows like um i'm a big fan of korean korean films and shows like cool. I, I love the way they shoot love how they their actors are always fantastic um one of my favorite tv shows is uh well it's like on netflix it's called um kingdom yes man it's just the the, the acting the politics the everything is just the zombies I, it just it was just it's such a good great show uh i, I just love it um i'm waiting for ozark the next season to come out yeah that show is definitely, um, I love that show. Yeah. Uh, what else? Good Girls. Have you seen Good Girls? Yes, I've seen that. One of my co-hosts is completely obsessed with that show as oh, well. Oh, I love um, that show. Yeah, I, yeah. Really, I really love that show. The actors are great. One last question for you. If you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, can be something from the past, something present day, or some sort of future genre, what would it be? First and foremost, Warrior. Uh, Obviously, I should say <laughs> not a show you're current, you've been working on. <laughs> Let's rule those out. Well, we'll I, know, I know, you know, they're talking about uh, uh, Halo season two, so I don't know. Just, yeah. it's, it's all it's all up in the air, kind of thing. Well, there's a show coming out right now that they're going to start shooting, which I was really trying to hopefully try to get a shot on was uh, the Continental. Yes, I would really have loved to have uh, been part of that. Um, yeah. There was a fleeting hope that I was going to be able to get on it. Fleeting hope, and then it just kind of went away. Ah, yes, that's the uh, John Wick sort of TV yeah. show. Yeah, that that looks like it's going to be immense. Yeah, well, it, it's, I think it's, it's a miniseries, I think, so it's not even that that long. But yeah. I would, yeah, I mean, that would that would be kind of cool. I just wanted to be able to uh, still keep the same elements what they have for John Wick, but mm -hmm. I wanted to see if I could add my flavor a little bit to it and how that would work. You know, yeah. it's not necessarily I can make it better or not. You know, I, I like the concept. John Wick 1 was for me was was a really, really good movie. I really enjoyed John Wick 1. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt that there was a lot of action, but I also felt that there was so much action, but there was a lot of like moments where they were letting them breathe and, and do things. And uh, I'm, I'm a fan of Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Um, you know, Chad and Dave, I mean, they're they're hitting the world by storm. I mean, they're doing mm -hmm. uh, fantastic stuff. And uh, so, yeah, Continental would be something that I would really, I, I would like to try to have been on at some point yeah good choice all right i shall uh, let you go and get back to your day thank you for chatting with me hopefully we'll get to a chance to uh, talk in the future sure cheers see you bye, bye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 